Hello and welcome to the Found Cause. We have found our cause in serving the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm Michael, the man behind the machine, and to my virtual front, it's Theodore. Theodore under the PC, under the person of Christ. And today we have a special guest on. Um, you want to introduce yourself? Yes, my name is uh, Bhakti Modi. I am associated with the Hindu Society of Minnesota in Maple Grove, and I am the school director as well as the lead in many of the education programs that we run through our temple uh, under the Hindu Society of Minnesota. Well, thank you very much, Bhakti, for coming on. Uh, Theodore is normally one who's reaching out to, to different faiths and areas to get people to talk about their faith here on the podcast, and so um, we're happy to have you on, Bhakti, to talk about the the distinctives between Hinduism and Christianity and maybe some of the, the similarities too. So Theodore, I'm going to hand it off to you because you have the plan of the day and take it away. All right. So I think there are some similarities uh, between Christian and Hindu holidays. Christian Christianity's top two are Christmas and Easter. Hinduism's top two, I believe you can correct me if I'm wrong, but are Diwali and Dushera. Dushera. Like the Manchera, yes. Okay. Um, but Diwali specifically was just a few days ago, November mm -hmm. 12. Um, and I was wondering if you could give uh, or start off with a brief history meaning behind Diwali. Absolutely. So a minor clarification right before we start. The um, Diwali and the Shara festivals, they kind of get lumped in together a little bit. So oftentimes when we think of Diwali, it's an extension or following the Shara. The other main big festival that we have that comes in spring is called Holi. And that's the one that's known as the Festival of Colors. So when we think about the two times of the year and the two biggest festivals that are celebrated in the fall, usually it's the Shara Diwali kind of back to back. And then in the... Um, in the spring, it's holy. So this time of year, we have a couple of pretty big festivals in, in the Hindu faith and tradition. Um, the first one is called Navratri and Dashera, and they're combined. They're a 10-day festival, the last day of it being Dashera, which is why it's known to be so big, because it's the culmination of a 10-day celebration of um, the, the powerful energy that we have in celebrating community and celebrating, again, good over evil, which is the general theme of pretty much any festival and the general theme of pretty much any faith and belief. So when we think about it as a big picture, there's a lot more similarities and there are differences. It's just a matter of some of the traditions may often be a little bit different. Um, the Shara kind of happens at the beginning of fall and about a couple weeks after the Shara is when Diwali comes up. So one of the historical stories, there are many reasons why we celebrate this, but one of the main stories is um, many, many, many years ago, thousands of years ago, there was this great king. We considered him um, an like an avatar, as we all know the word avatar, not the movie with the blue people, but the word is the same. It means a form of another being. So that's what the word avatar means. So we believe that there was this king, King Ram. He was an avatar of God, and he was on this earth to help people who needed help to get rid of the negative energy that some of the negative people and he was exiled due to certain reasons and on the last day of his exile he was able to defeat one of the worst kings and the worst 
people of all time. And that's the celebration of the Shara is him getting rid of that person. And then after finishing his exile and finishing this war off and protecting the people, then he got to go back to his kingdom and him arriving back in his kingdom was the celebration of Diwali. So there's usually a couple of weeks gap because the whole concept is he was able to come back during that time. And then the world was able to celebrate his homecoming, so to speak. And again, it was the concept of the homecoming of someone who was brought to save the people were out, was actually able to protect the people, bring good into the world. So a celebration of bringing that positivity back into your home, your kingdom, or however you want to look at it. That was, again, celebrated many years ago. Now we look at it as a celebration of us remembering that it's not enough to get rid of bad things. We also have to remember to bring back the positive. So when we talk about good over evil, it's not just you say a good thing and you don't say a bad thing. It's the combination of reducing your negative activities, reducing the bad things you do, and then increasing the good things and inviting positive people, positive energy, and positive actions into your life. So that's the main celebration that kind of encompasses many weeks over the fall time period. And it starts as something else and then it ends in the the Diwali time frame. Um, Diwali, uh, the actual word, it's become shortened to Diwali, but the actual word is Deepavali. So deep in Sanskrit means light. So uh, Diwali is known as the festival of lights. So back in the day, all these little lamps were created out of clay. A lot of Indian and Hindu traditions are very nature-based because, you know, we believe we come from nature, we go back to nature. So everything is very eco-friendly, nature-based, <coughs> all of that. So these clay lamps were created, which are called deep, and Diwali is celebrated on the darkest night of the year. So when it's really, really dark, what do you do? You put on a lot of lights. So the more lights you have, the more brightness you have. So it's a very practical symbolism of also bringing light into your lives that on the darkest day, you can still light it up as long as you light the light. So when light, the lamps were lit up in so many rows, that avali is a Sanskrit word, which means a row. So the combination of a row of lights to celebrate brightness into light, which signifies intelligence and intellect, that became Deepavali, which then in spoken word got shortened to Diwali. Hmm. That's really okay. formative, Bhakti. And, and yes. you, the way you describe uh, your faith in the practice, is it something that you that the most important thing to you is what it means to us today? Or do you like, um, there's a not a great way of putting this, but do you believe that it really happened? Like, do you believe that Ram was a real king or is it most important what it means to us today? I think it's absolutely both. Um, I mean, we do believe it's real and there is still much evidence. The kingdom is still there. The locations are still there. And, you know, there's a lot of things that get wiped down in history due to many reasons, some good, some not so good. Um, so it, it's it's important to understand that yes, in some stories, no matter which faith we're looking at, some stories have been exaggerated because stories are important to get people to connect. We tell kids stories of the tur- you know, the turtle and the rabbit and the slow and, and the moral of the story is slow and steady wins the race. I mean, do we really believe that a turtle and rabbit raced? No, but we do know that those are the qualities they can bring to that story and we can learn from that. There are many stories that we believe absolutely have I, maybe 50% truth, maybe 60, maybe 70. And the rest is people kind of learning from that and building it up over time. So yes, I do believe that all of our stories have a strong foundation in reality. Maybe they're a little bit different now, but we don't know that. 
it's up to us to believe what we want to believe and get the most out of it. Knowing that things happen is important because, or believing things happen is important because if I can envision a human being having to go, go over obstacles and do good things, it makes it more possible for me as a human being to get over obstacles and do good things. It's about finding the role models. If we have a role model that is so unattainable, then we can't learn from that. So the ha having a, the foundation of reality in the stories is absolutely important because then we can connect to the characters, which is why all of, every, I mean, even as childhood, we start by learning through stories because we want to be able to relate to it. Every faith, every culture, every religion has is filled with stories and many stories are true and many are slightly exaggerated and both is okay. So yes, I do believe there's a lot of, reality there but i also believe that it's important for us to understand the gaps understand how we can relate to that in our modern time and also know what we cannot replicate and that's okay if we let certain things go absolutely and thanks uh, sebastian i see you join you look very serious um <laughs> oh. <laughs> happy to be here just ran into deep waters thank you for waiting <laughs> so thank you again bhakti for sharing about um both those those holidays are, would you agree that they are the two central ones of your personal faith or do you are they top five like are those the main ones i'm just the thing about hindu here. faith is we have a lot of festivals yeah. <laughs> we have so many which is amazing because there's always something to celebrate there's always something to learn from and the foundation of each faith is a quality that we want to emulate into our lives and the, and the foundation of every festival is something that we want to learn from so in diwali we learn about what it means to protect our community what it means to give back to others for the shara it's about um getting rid of the evil in holy it's about celebrating the name of god through colors and celebrate and and family and um even if it means going against the people that you care about if the right is right wrong is wrong we have many festivals my, my absolute favorite diwali i would say is my second favorite maybe tied for first but my absolute favorite festival is one that's called raksha bandhan it's shortened to rakhi and that's a celebration of bonds between siblings so where siblings get together and um usually it's it, Historically, it used to be sister to the brother, but nowadays everything is getting adjusted. So I celebrated as sister to sister, brother to brother, as an aunt to my nieces and nephews. It doesn't matter. It's about that familial bond where it's, it used to be where the sister would tie a, a thread, a sacred thread onto the brother's wrist, and he would promise to always protect her. And it would be like um, a promise to reiterate your relationship and the strength of your relationship. That's when an example where a lot of people have changed some of the traditions to the modern time where it's great. You should learn to protect your family members, but it doesn't have to be in one direction. So now I tie it to all my cousins and my sisters and my brothers and nieces and nephews. So it's a way to promise that we'll always be there for each other as a family, as people in each other's lives. So that for me is my favorite because I get to spend some time with family or talk to them and I get to tell them much, how much I love them and hear that back. And it's always great to have people you love in your corner. So mm -hmm. for me, Diwali is great because it's a way to celebrate as a family. It's about the, the sweets, the colors, the, the, um, so much food uh, you get to get presents you get to you know think about the meaning the prayer the make promises it's like our new year so mm -hmm. you make resolutions like i promise to be doing this this year and then for me raksha bandhan is about connecting with our most cherished loved ones and upping our promise to each other as human beings 
And and I'm just gathering, and we'll pick up with Christian side of things too. So sorry for the the straight like um, interrogation here, Bhakti. But uh, mm-hmm. I, I'm gathering from the way you speak about your faith that you are most concerned about um, like that it has good impact today. And I know you said it's important that you're in good company, by the way, when you say it, it really happened in the past, because we were also Christians who believe that, that mm-hmm. the things we believe really happened in the past. Um, but it, it sounds like you are willing to adapt um, to the to modern, you're willing to adapt because you don't believe that the traditions are 100% true, right? They're 80% true, they're 70% true. So you're willing to adapt them so that they work best in the modern day. Is that, is that right? If that for me is my strongest belief, because if we cannot adapt our faith to what our reality is, there's nowhere for the faith to go but disappear. Because when traditions were built, whether 100 years ago, 50 years ago, 1000 years ago, that life was different. Um, I say this to anyone who will listen to me and then roll my then roll their eyes at me. But I say that, listen, I get that this tradition was created maybe 200 years ago. But the people who created the traditions did not have to work nine to five and then also have smartphones in their life and also have Facebook and then also have such a small world that I step outside and I'm a minority. They didn't have to deal with that. So if maybe they had to deal with it, the traditions would be different. So as me living my life, I know what my truth is. So I feel comfortable enough where as long as the foundation of my faith is there and as long as the foundation of the belief that faith is driving me to be a better person than I was the day before, or at least trying to be, then I should be able to adapt my beliefs into something that helps me today rather than stresses me out or hinders me from my own growth. And, and that I totally get it. And would you say then that karma or the gods that they have, that they adapt along with the time so that they smile upon things that are good now that weren't good back in the 1800s or whatever you know the changes so actually when you look at the base scriptures of hinduism there's very little in there about traditions there's very little like at this time you should do this there are suggestions that when your day starts you should do x y and z but I mean, they didn't have daylight savings back then. So what, what does that mean when the day starts, right? So when we're talking about um, what the scriptures teach us, the sacred texts that we have, they really focus more on as, uh, as your roles and responsibilities. So the whole concept of dharma, which is the common word with Hindu dharma, mm-hmm. that's what we define as quote unquote religion, because religion doesn't actually have a one to one Sanskrit word translation. The closest is Dharma and Dharma actually means your role, your duty. Mm-hmm. So we in our teachings there, it's very clear that you have different roles in your life. When you're young, you're a student, you're a child in a family as as a, as a child of your parents, you are a sibling and each role you have defines what you should be doing. Right. And, and so and that and the idea behind that is, is as a student, your dharma is to study and learn as a child. Your dharma is to listen to your parents as a sibling. Your dharma is to love and protect and share and be a friend as a friend. Your dharma is to be there for someone else. Now, that's your personal dharma. Then there's the other side of it is something a little bit bigger. As a human being, your dharma in the world is to give back to the community, help those in need, not destroy the environment, focus on good qualities, be kind, be helpful, do service. And the idea behind that is, is as long as you're doing the right things for your dharma, everything else is secondary. The traditions are there just to help guide, but they're not end all. They're there to help you achieve what you should be achieving as your dharma in your role. 
And with the whole energy and the focus of God in your mind, that helps you drive yourself towards doing good things over, which may sometimes be more difficult than the lazier or not so good things. And and those dharmic actions, they're defined by God or the gods, like they are concrete dharmas or are they, they defined by you? Like who, who's defining dharma? So a lot of our texts, so in our text, there's never been one clear author. Okay. There has never been one source of this person has said this and that's it. Um, a lot of our texts are were written ages and ages ago by many learned people, what we call saints and sages. Mm -hmm. This was written by groups of people who would get together, who would meditate, who had higher spiritual energy, who had additional ability to think beyond the day-to-day -day life, who were able to look at the big picture. So it was created by communities of sages who got together and said, what does the world need? What do the people need to be better? So for example, there are 10 main principles of dharma, and they are being steadfast, being forgiving, having self-control, not stealing, having cleanliness of your mind and body, having control of your senses, focusing on your intellect, focusing on gaining more knowledge, being truthful and avoiding anger. I mean, if you look at those things, that's what every person should try to be. So these people got together and said, what are the qualities that we can aim to achieve? So that's why none of our scriptures are saying that it's coming from one person or coming from a God or coming from a, a, a one leader. It's about that it was many minds that got together and said, this is what we should aim to be. And the energy of God in our minds when we're doing it so it will help us achieve it better and faster okay yeah and, and if there's one thing I've learned we've done a couple interactions with Hinduism and people around the Hindu faith in general and one thing I've learned is that everybody has a different concept of exactly Correct. how they're going to apply it so that's why I always ask these questions it's very unique and can, it's very different yeah. per person yes because if you just look the up concepts the are the same yeah. yep the concept is the same but everyone manages it a little bit differently mm -hmm. and um for me, I find that to be the biggest strength of the faith is because every person is different, right? You have that, what is it, that Einstein quote that if you judge a fish on its ability to fly, it's always going to fail, right? Mm -hmm. Every person has their own skill set. And so um, it's up to each person to find what works for them and make it happen. So it's not so much as what's set in stone as it is what you, how you can adapt yourself to grow. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you again very much, Bhakti. Mm -hmm. Theodore, do you want to share like Christian traditions or other things you had in the agenda and compare then to, I mean, we live in a, a Christian majority nation, so I'm sure our viewers and Bhakti, you already know a lot of this stuff, but we'll share it anyways, just to- Oh, absolutely. To Always happy to learn. Uh -huh. uh, one thing you said uh, struck me. It's like the, how the God or the story needs to be relatable mm -hmm. so that it's in a sense attainable. Mm -hmm. um and i <laughs> i immediately just thought of our christian scriptures the bible um and how jesus was incarnated um yes. and was made a man just like us and mm -hmm. went through what we went through yet without sin um and um because he is without sin and we believe he is divine he's god um, that he forever intercedes for us um, mm -hmm. on behalf of us before God and is our mm -hmm. um, basically eternal advocate. Um, so even though like it's not 
Christians don't believe that we can attain godhood. Mm-hmm. Um, we can attain what God made us to be with God's intervention with us for us. Correct. Yes. I, yes. Um, and, and I, and I mean, and so it's a wonderful concept and you're right. And the connection is exactly the same where we have kings like Ram, we have kings like Krishna, we have all these people who reincarnated onto earth to live amongst people to go through the same things and then still come out better um, and still come out positive as a way for people to look up to that and learn from that. Um, one of the small differences there is that it, this is where the concept of karma comes in. Karma meaning action. So the actual meaning of karma is action, not you know what we read on the bumper stickers of, oh, what goes around comes around. Technically, sure, but that's not the whole idea behind karma. The idea behind karma is that um, I, I like to put it as, you know, Newton, Newton had it right. Every action has an equal and opposite reaction. Right. When something you put something out in the world, you get something back. When you do something good, it adds to your soul. When you do something not so good, it takes away a little bit from the positivity and the divine energy that you have, because we believe that every single person has that divine energy and the potential to be godlike. It's up to you to get there. So the only person responsible for their own and faith is themselves because your actions determine where you end up. And it's, the world is a very difficult place. So it's not, it's easy to say, oh, I want to be a good person, but we're, you know, from every direction, we have problems coming at us. We have these things that get to us, anger, jealousy, greed, um, desire. We live in a world of consumerism that's just taken over everything you do. So it's not so easy to get up and be like, oh, I'm going to be a good person today. Like that show, The Good Place, I, for me, I love that show. It's a great representation where you can still do all the right things, but your unintended consequences can still cause negative reactions. So why should that be determining where you end up? So the idea behind it is what is your intent for what you're doing? What is, is that the best possible option for your actions? Are you doing it with the right reason, with, the, uh, with focusing on your energy? And there are still people of Hindu faith who may not even believe in a form of God. They may say, no, there is no form of God. Everything is a divine energy. Well, that's fine. If that leads you to be a good person, then all the power to you. It's not about what form you're looking at, which path you're taking. The end goal is to become the best version so you become that divinity. And it is very difficult to do for some people in a lifetime. And that's where we believe reincarnation comes in. It's because, okay, so you have done these things in your life. And based on what you've done, your next life, you'll get an opportunity to do more. Get an opportunity to do more. So the we believe the goal of the soul is to keep getting better and better until you end up reaching divinity. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a learning process because nobody can just wake up one day and be perfect. Right. And you're giving us some great room for like distinctives here as well, because um, I think we're, we're both any any faith that's lasted this long, as long as Hinduism, mm-hmm. as long as Christianity is going to have truths in common, because to, to yes. have a society that works, that it has to get a truth, whatever truth is. Yes. And so I don't think faiths that, that don't get a truth last very long. Um, mm-hmm. But we do have distinctives, as we both know, there that perspective of Hinduism um, in some ways it's similar, right? We're, we're going a lot of times for the same attributes, love and kindness and mercy and generosity. Yes. Um, but 
like you said, um, Hinduism often is an internal look. You're trying to make yourself better. Your faith is your own responsibility. Mm-hmm. Whereas in Christianity, the, the message, and maybe this gets right back to the holiday thing here with Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, I think everybody that's listening probably knows, but in case you didn't, uh, the two biggest holidays in Christianity are Christmas and Easter. Both involve mm-hmm. Jesus Christ. Um, Jesus mm-hmm. Christ, like we just discussed, God on earth, God inhabited uh, the body of a man to, to come to humanity. But the message um, is not just that he did that to, to display goodness for humanity, but was that he came to take the faults, the sins of humanity upon mm. himself so that through him, we can be made faultless. Um, right. So instead, of, instead of our faith being our responsibility, I mean, we're still held accountable to do good things, but instead of it being our responsibility, it's actually God who accomplishes our, mm-hmm. our faith for us which is a, a distinctive but we're both trying to it get is, it is it's different but again at the end of the day if it drives people to do the right things i mean there's there can't be a right or wrong when you're trying to do the right thing it's just the right thing which are the positive qualities which are doing good which are being good so yeah at the end of the day that is the common factor with a few little differences here and there i'll hand it back to you theodore Man, I had like two, di- two or three different thoughts in my mind, um, <laughs> but <laughs> I'm not great at thinking off the top of my head and uh, pinpointing one thought. I'm happy to talk more all like day, Ron but... Burgundy, where uh, <laughs> I read what I have on the teleprompter or what I've previously <laughs> written or prepared. <laughs> so maybe I'll just go back to. Yeah, and please interrupt then, Theodore, if you have other comments. Sebastian, you've been sitting silently. Sure. Do you have any thoughts? I've been observing, taking it all in, and I appreciate the clarity that you speak, uh, Bhakti, so thank you. Mm-hmm. And I did have a question. I don't know if you addressed this before, but when you said, you mentioned that part of the purpose is get, uh, doing good dharma to you know, gain positive energy, maybe you used another word, uh, how how is that positivity defined? So like, what is positive positive energy like how, how do you know something is positive or it's negative or bad that is an excellent question so i'm going to give a small example so have you guys have all heard of the bhagavad-gita mm-hmm. right the, it's most popular um tech there you go look at that perfection so one of the key messages of bhagavad-gita is this learning how to be the best version of yourself and one of the key teachings of hindu dharma is the concept of ahimsa which is non-violence so gandhi used this concept of ahimsa which he used as a foundation of the bhagavad-gita to learn from um for the non-violence movement for india's independence okay so we in all of our teachings everything is rooted in nonviolence. do less harm do no harm avoid harm emotional harm physical harm any form the bhagavad gita was saying on a battlefield in the middle of the biggest war in the history of hindu faith so when you think about it that and at the end of the bhagavad gita krishna is convincing arjun to fight a war after teaching him about nonviolence. So that's where the concept of intent comes in. And that's why it is so important that the Bhagavad Gita to teach us good qualities was saying on a battlefield because Krishna says, all right, you have two choices. You can say your role is a warrior to protect the people. The people are being hurt by the person in power. People are suffering. They don't have food. They don't have their homes. Their families are hurting. Their children are hurting. You as a warrior, what is your dharma? Is your dharma to protect people? If so, 
then everything else goes away and you follow your dharma of protecting the people. So ahimsa, nonviolence is important until there is no other option. So Arjun spent years, decades, trying every other solution. And when there was absolutely no other option, Krishna, who is the manifestation of God himself, he's like, dude, you got to fight. This is it. There's no other option. Yes, nonviolence is important. But if you don't fight this war, more people are going to be hurt than if you fight this war. So the idea behind intent is what is necessary to follow your dharma and what is most important to benefit the most amount of people for the right reason. So the king at the time was making people suffer so he could get more for himself. So if that's not the right thing to do, then you have to fight against it with every means possible. So for me, I love the message of the Gita because the Gita teaches you to be nonviolent while telling you to fight for the right reasons. So everything is relative. So nothing can be taken at just face value of this is the word and you do it no matter what. Everything you have to think about how that impacts yourself, maybe your family, your community. And sometimes um, speaking up, sometimes anger is important. But anger for the right reason versus anger out of your own jealousy are two very different things. So the biggest thing about understanding our dharma and following our karma is knowing the intent of why you're doing what you're doing. I hope that helps answer your question a little bit. For sure. No, it helps a lot. And I have just been reading the Bhagavad Gita. So That's, I love that you had that book right there. It's great. I have a collection of all sorts of books as mm -hmm. They say, as they say here in the in the found cause, so something you know maybe 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 might be an interesting take. So immediately, what came to mind was if you've you've all seen all of you here have seen the Marvel movies. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so there's this character for the audience, you know, that may be watching, Thanos, who he, his intent is, mm -hmm. I would say, in his mind and in general terms, maybe perceived as good, but in order to save the universe, he wants to exterminate half the population mm -hmm. in the universe. But his intention, I would say, is mm -hmm. I mean, he is honest. Like he's, he's not um, trying to lie to people. He is genuinely seeking the benefit of whoever's left in the universe. So in that example, I know it's, it's just a fun example, but mm -hmm. would would his intention, would his actions still be good? Or how, how would you interpret I, I'm so glad you brought that up because when I was watching when the movies came out, I was like, man, I want to be so angry at Thanos, but like, you kind of get it. But also, it's the way he did it wasn't totally great. I think, his, again, you're right, the intention, and that's <coughs> the part I missed when I was speaking, is the intention plus the actions matter, right? So his intention was good, but did he handle it the right way? Did he give an opportunity? Did he... Uh, exhaust every other possible option before resorting to mass chaos and violence. So if he had done everything else and nothing had worked to help the world's population, then sure, maybe his action could have been construed as positive, but just having good intention isn't enough because every human being thinks they're right. Even good people and bad people, every villain in the whole world at one point has been convinced that they are doing the right thing. So just being convinced that you're doing the right thing isn't enough to be doing the right thing. And that's the real lesson of Bhagavad Gita, where it's not like 
yeah, the other side also thought they were right. That's why they're fighting the war. But is it to the best benefit of the everyone around who's being affected? Has every other solution been activated before you get to the point of violence or the point of extreme action? Right. And so Thanos was close, but not quite. He was almost, he just, he had a little bit more effort and it would, he would have gone on to the other side of the positivity camp. Yeah, and, and maybe it gets to the point then that, that there is an objective right and wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. Because everybody, like you said, everybody, when they do something, they think it's right. That's why they do it. Um, but we know that, that there are people who did the wrong things, Thanos or Hitler or even the enemy of yes. King Rom, like wh- whoever you put in the list exactly. of people who it's, thought they were doing they right. They all thought they were great. And they were all smart to have accomplished things. So it's not that um, being smart isn't enough. Having good intention isn't enough. It's how you follow through. It's the how it benefits people. Um, in Hindu Dharma, the biggest thing is that in most of the teachings, there is no explanation of this is the right thing to do. Again, it's about speaking the truth, mm-hmm. being honest, being helpful. It's about focusing on the qualities and actions and not just doing something blindly. Right. And I think, uh, again, just to get to distinctives too, the similarity in Christianity, especially we, we particularly, mm-hmm. I mean, there's, there's billion flavors of Christianity, just there's a lot of flavors mm-hmm. in Hinduism. Um, although we're, uh, I don't know if we're more strict, but we have, we like rules, you know, right down to the rules. A little more structured. A little more structured, say, sure. Um, mm-hmm. So our particular flavor, um, we ascribe to God's sovereignty over everything, meaning that God okay. is the, the author of life, uh, that he planned out what was mm-hmm. going to happen in life. And so, we would say that every single person has a role to play specifically. Mm-hmm. You know, God planned their, their role out from the beginning. So he knows who you are. He knows who I was. And he knew us before we were born. And he's like, this is who Bhakti's going to be. This is who Michael's going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so we too are looking to fulfill our dharma. Um, just to use the Hindu word, we're really going to fulfill our role in life um, and to do that to the best of our ability through God. Um, and as you know, a, a Christian distinctive and the reason that we require Jesus to come down and why we celebrate Christmas so fervently and why we celebrate Easter so fervently mm-hmm. is that we believe that humanity could not have done, fulfilled their dharma without mm-hmm. the help of God explicitly and that every single person mm-hmm. fails. So whether they are Thanos or they are Captain America, right, they, they yeah. are better than others. You know, Thanos is worse than, than Captain America. They still, Captain America is still flawed, still wouldn't yes. meet God's standards because God is absolutely perfect. Mm-hmm. And so... We celebrate oh, the Savior. We celebrate Jesus Christ who came in and, right. and paid the price of our, because all inequity, all sin against God has some price and mm-hmm. it's to be separated from God. Um, but Jesus paid that price um, so that we don't have to, a substitutionary um, atonement for us. And so yep. that's why we celebrate Easter, it's why we celebrate Christmas, the coming of Christ and then the death and, and resurrection of Christ that he actually paid our price. Yeah. And, and Theodore, related, yeah. with that, Michael... <laughs> Related with that and karma, mm-hmm. um, I'll try to put this into a question as well. Mm-hmm. But so, uh, I guess the short question would be: Is everything karmic, or is there a sense of unmerited mercy? And so, for context, I think with our our God, there is unmerited mercy. We are saved by that mercy, and I think like the action or karma of Joseph's brothers in the Bible, mm-hmm. his 11 brothers selling him into slavery, but then God being sovereign used that to save um, his brother's family, the nation of Israel. Um, and then even with the Jews at the time of Jesus, um, God used the hardened heart of the Jews um, killing Jesus. Um, although obviously God allowed this to happen, it was a willing sacrifice of Jesus. 
um, he God used that rebellion of the Jews to bring the gospel salvation mercy to the rest of the world um, for everyone who would believe on uh, Jesus for salvation. Um, so, uh, well, I guess there's kind of two things in there. Like one, is everything karmic or is there a sense of un unmerited mercy? Mm -hmm. And then um, if you want to speak to like that, the ex exclusivity of believing in Jesus. Sure. Uh, that so to the first, um, I would say both. Uh, again, everyone determines their own path. The, your actions determine your results and who you become. But we do believe that if you say the name of God with the right intention, with the right understanding and meaning, not just for the sake of saying it, then you have every chance of being uplifted to being spiritually elevated. Um, we have absolute beliefs that they say that towards the end of life, there are people who, who if at the moment of passing, as they say the name of God, if they truly believe in that energy, if they truly in that moment, even for a split second, believe that, oh, yes, I could have been better. I th These are the good things I did. These are the not so great things. Accepting the truth is a form of believing in God. And that is a great way for God to spiritually elevate you. So it's not just that, oh, you've done one bad thing. That means you'll always suffer. It's that there are ways to redeem. And that is through the energy and the belief of God. So we absolutely believe it's it's not so much about mercy as it is acceptance the way we teach it, where um, God will accept everyone. There, there is no one to not accept. It's just that some people are on a tougher path or some people are maybe a little bit behind on their path, but everyone has that equal opportunity to get there all at once. And it's there is the full level of acceptance, no matter who, no matter what the background. And I mean, in terms of things like other beliefs, um, there is very little, if anything, in Hindu, in, in Hindu teachings that say that Hindu dharma or Hindu dharma teachings are it, or someone else's teachings are not it. Um, because the main concepts of Hindu dharma is again, focusing on the qualities. And we believe through history of time, um, the energy and the divinity of God has come to earth in many reincarnated forms to help the world get better. And there are many beliefs we say that Jesus is absolutely a form of God come to earth to make people better. So how can that be a bad thing if someone coming in with divine energy is helping the world get better? So why is one person better than another? So the concept is there where um, the divinity can come in any shape or form. And as long as it helps people on their path, on their dharma, then that's only going to be a good thing. And, and again, okay. right, right back to distinctives, right? Because famously, Christians are exclusive, right? If you are mm -hmm. not a Christian, then you can't, as we were describing before, you need Jesus to be good. And so if you don't believe in Jesus, um, then you won't be able to be good. You might be Captain America, but you won't be God. Yes, um, correct. So uh, as a distinctive there, you believe that Christians can fulfill their dharma. And we would say that Hindus would be short of fulfilling their dharma because they don't have mm -hmm. Jesus. Um, one thing, and maybe to Theodore's question too, uh, historically, and you can correct this, Bhakti, um, historically, a problem with karmic belief for some, again, I don't think this is your mm -hmm. belief, was that those who were in a lower karma, they had done something bad in their lives, in their previous mm -hmm. life or this life, and so they got mm -hmm. what was coming to them, right? They they deserved the, the bad job they had or the fact that people mistreated them because they had mistreated other people either in this life or the previous life. And in the Christian tradition, 
we are all bad and God had mercy on us anyways. And so we should mm-hmm. also have mercy on even the bad people. Um, mm-hmm. How do you, how do you reconcile that element of karma in that? Should, should we have mercy on people who are evil because don't they deserve having evil done to them? Isn't that part of the karma process? How would you respond to that? Well, if we ever wish evil on someone else, then we're immediately falling to negative karma hmm. because the whole point is having forgiveness, showing empathy, showing kindness. So even all the worst people in the world should have the opportunity to get better. It doesn't excuse the bad things they have done, but it should absolutely give them a chance, which is why we say that when you come, when people may have done things that are irreversible, Maybe in a next life, they start off in a place of higher struggling. and But their soul has the opportunity to get better. How many times do we hear stories of people who are highly successful that come from nothing, that have to overcome every obstacle to get where they are? Well, I mean, for someone who may have everything, they won't know how to get over obstacles. So just because starting with less struggles does not mean you're automatically in a place of good karma or positivity. It's about a person who may struggle may have the ability to build more on strength, to help more towards others. So that's a chance. That's a way the it's it's almost like that's a way to kind of have empathy towards someone else that you don't know how a person ended up where they ended up, mm-hmm. whether it's from current situation or something out of their control. But every person, whether good or bad, deserves another chance. It does not wipe out what you did, but it make, gives you a chance to do better and be better. Mm-hmm. So every single person deserves empathy and forgiveness. Um, maybe not in the traditional way. Yes, there are some people in the world who have done horrendous thing. And no, it's not fair to stand, stand up and say, oh, I forgive X, Y, and Z because you know they blatantly murdered someone else. Like, mm-hmm. no, there's absolutely consequences to actions. And that's why rules exist. Governments exist. That's right. why we have a structured society. But... Does that mean that person doesn't get to ever make a positive change in their life? No, they should be given that opportunity. Okay, yeah, and I'm glad to hear you say that, right? I, I didn't think you'd say mm-hmm. that they that you shouldn't be nice to, to bad people because, you know, that's a commonality attribute that we're looking to have, mercy on the wicked. Um, because, yes, every person who's, who does something good or bad, every single person is, for better or for worse, um, a result of their circumstances. And then they can then choose to grow on that themselves. And that's a personal choice. Mm -hmm. So where someone ends up in life is not always in their control. And that sometimes leads people to doing not so great things at all. Yeah. I I think also one of the questions that everybody asks, Hindu, Christian, Muslim, is, um, and it's even in the Psalms, in the Bible, it's why why do the wicked seem to prosper? You know, why why do evil people sometimes Mm -hmm. look like they're either born into a rich family or they get rich by being wicked? Um, I think people it comes people question the Christian God, people question the karmic system when that happens. Um, in, in our system, we would say that, like we said, God is sovereign. He's got the plan for everything. And so he has a plan for um, those those wicked people prospering, whether it is um, for the sake of those that they benefit, even though they're wicked. Like we would say, uh, Henry Ford gave a, gave a lot of people cars, even though he himself was not a good man. Um, mm-hmm. And so he, he benefited the world, even though he was wicked. Um, how would you respond to wicked people prospering? Is it is it a proof against the karmic system or is it something else? That is proof uh, of um, the capitalistic society we live in. For someone who is truly good and happy, they're not going to go around and tell people I'm good and happy. Humility is the biggest form of happiness. So for someone who is truly happy and content, they're not going to go around and bragging about it. So we only know what we see in the media. 
we don't see all the good that's happening in the world, right? Um, Mr. Rogers famously said, if you want to see good in the world, just step out and you'll always see someone helping another person. That's not what we see on the news. So we're just used to seeing all the bad things and then good, bad people getting good things. But happiness isn't how much you have. We believe happiness is a state of mind. Someone who has nothing can be truly happy and someone who has everything can be completely unhappy because that's where greed comes in. That's where wanting more, that discomfort, the anxiety. Well, what good is it being popular or being rich if you're not happy? So we measure success in a very incorrect way in today's world. Success isn't about the wealthy, the one who has more. Success is about when you go to sleep at night, are you content with who you are? Are you happy with what you did in your day? Are you happy with your relationships in your life? And that's not something that's easily measurable, so that gets discounted. So I don't have any personal belief on do people get what they deserve because I can guarantee you there's probably many billionaires out there who do not like anything about their lives. So who am I to say they're living a better life just because they have a little more money? So the main purpose of Hindu teachings is everything you do should lead you towards true contentment. And that's the whole concept of moksha and the divinity. Divinity isn't like you become oh, this ethereal form of God, it's because it's you become the best version of yourself where you are just engulfed in happiness and contentment and you're not affected by a desire, by greed, by jealousy, by wanting more, by doing, by never being satisfied. That's the opposite of happiness. So there, I don't know. I don't have an answer to whether they deserve it or not because that depends on them. Are they happy or not? Do they deserve the happiness that they have? And if not, then that's their call to make and their goal to achieve. Yeah, and what I'm hearing you saying is that it might look like um, dictator Kim Jong-il who died, you know, happy, worldly mm -hmm. happy, right? He stayed dictator, he had a bunch of wealth, um, that you're thinking he was not actually happy. And I have no way of knowing that, and that's his journey to take. So it, the minute we start judging other people's happiness, we're putting down our own happiness because when you're truly content with yourself, it doesn't matter what someone else is doing. And I, I have so many questions, guys, but I want to make sure you guys get your questions in. Theodore, Sebastian, do you have any? Uh, yes, but <laughs> it's it's almost 8 o'clock. Mm -hmm. I'm okay for a few more minutes. Okay. Um, it's up to you guys, so I'm good for whatever. Sebastian, do you have a pressing question, or would you like me to throw in yeah, another? So, so, something that came to mind since you uh, okay. mentioned uh, Moksha, do you see uh, the afterlife as like the ultimate goal, do you see it as separation from from this from this world, from if you may call it negative energy, the flesh that's holding us back and becoming one with Brahma, or or do you see it as something something else, like the ultimate goal? That person. is the ultimate goal because we believe that moksha is, again, a state of that eternal contentment, that divine energy where everything you're doing is positive, when you are not affected by the negative energies and the negative qualities of life. Um, I do believe that's the end goal. And, you know, especially in the Gita, we're taught that our body is like our clothes in a closet. Our life goes through many bodies, like we go through many clothes. At the end of the day, it's the soul that continues to grow and grow. So every life, we have an opportunity to start better and do better. Mm -hmm. So the goal of life is to, the goal of our soul or Atma is to ultimately break out of this cycle of karma, of action, of action, of action, and get to that point of divinity. So, and that's the concept of moksha. So yes, we do believe that because that's the, that's a 
great way to be the best version of yourself is to aim at happiness, not things. Aim at contentment. Not contentment if I get the new titanium phone. It's contentment that I have a great life. What can I do with it? contentment of being where you are doing the best that you can and so moksha can mean different things to different people many times people even in hindu faith when they think of moksha they think of a saint or a sage or someone of a religious background who has given up all worldly things and lives in a forest and no you can still attain happiness living in the materialistic world which is what the different reincarnations of the form of God taught us. They came into a materialistic world and taught us how to be the best version of ourselves. That's why it was important that those reincarnations came because you, nobody can just discard everything and say, oh, I'm not going to care about things anymore. That's not how the world works. If it was, then we wouldn't be in the situation that we are in the world today. So it's about navigating our situation and learning that contentment that leads to moksha. Maybe I have misunderstood Hindu teachings, so please correct me if I misunderstood. Do some believe that you lose your identity once you reach <coughs> that end goal and are one with Brahma? We believe that God, Paramatma, is part of our identity now. We are right now in a moment, a temporary form with our body, with our name, with our environment. That divine energy is still God's energy we have to make ourselves better to become one with that. What we're doing now are just temporary stops on the way. So we are not who we are. We are still formed. So one of the greetings in Hindu faith is namaste, right? Mm -hmm. Namaste literally means I am bowing to the divinity in you. So the concept of namaste is understanding that, oh, you're more than what just what I see. Who you are right now is temporary, but everyone has that divinity in them. So at the inside, everyone is the same. So do you, which is that energy of yeah, God? Do you believe that you can arrive at moksha in this life? Uh, I'm sorry, I'm also uh, confused because I I thought I mean this is it might be different versions of Hinduism or maybe it's just a misunderstanding mm -hmm. on our part, mm -hmm. but I thought you were trying to achieve like a Zen, I am one with the universe state at some point. It doesn't sound like that's what you're describing. No, and that's part of, I mean, that is part of our day-to-day -day lives, but it's about when your life ends, your soul, what the next step for your soul is determined by your karma. So if you are truly at that point of happiness, then your soul may not come back to another body and it becomes one with God. Okay. So you do believe, okay. So yes, in more eloquent yes. way than I'm saying, you do believe in some final yes. resting state. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that is going back into, we come from God and we go back to God. It's kind of like, you know, if you have, you light a candle from a ca candle right so when you have that original candle that's lit you light another candle and then you separate them you have two flames but if you put them back together they're still the same flame that's what we believe our soul and the, uh, the energy of god is like we come from that energy and we go back to it so just because we come from it doesn't make it less and just because we go back to it doesn't make it double mm -hmm. it the energy is still energy and, and I'm going to pivot. I know, again, we have only a couple minutes left. So, Theodore, I bet you give us our last question. But I have, I have one last question just because it's so central to Christianity. I want to make I want to get your thoughts mm -hmm. on it, Bhakti. Um, the... We'll probably have to end with this one, right? Okay. Well, then, then I'll steal it then. Uh, <laughs> Fine. The, the big problem in Christianity, as we talked about with, with Jesus, is to be judged righteous with God. Fulfill mm -hmm. your full dharma. Because um, if you don't, then you won't be with God in the end. 
um, you won't achieve. I mean, I'm use parallels here, but you won't achieve moksha, mm-hmm. right? Because you haven't yep. you haven't actually fulfilled your dharma. Um, mm-hmm. And we believe that because God is just, He, he does justice. Um, that those who have done in there has to be some repercussion for injustice. And so for the murderer, um, there's some repercussion for him. And mm-hmm. in Christianity, God, it, because they have killed, they've taken a life that that person should also be killed, right? And not only mm-hmm. should they be killed, they, they would be separated from God unless they're covered by Jesus, right? Because Jesus can cover any mm-hmm. of these sins. And so that's how Christianity takes, um, deals with restitution to the victim. So if somebody is stolen from, they should be paid back, whether in this life or the, or the next life, um, mm-hmm. they should come. It, how, how would you see restitution happening to the victims of crimes? Because I think Hinduism is a very great system for covering punishment to the wicked, right? Punishment, bad energies, they suffer. But what about restitution to the victim? Well, do you, I'm sure everybody in their life has known at least one person who is just truly an amazing person. They're always nice. They're always kind. They're somewhat happy. They're, they're not catty and jealous and they're not um you know spreading rumors we've all met people in our lives who are inherently a little bit better than or what we think is better as maybe other people it's because their past karma has led them to start off at a better place so maybe there was someone in life in in their current life or a previous life who was unjustly treated maybe in their next life they get off to a better situation so we believe that it everything catches up and everyone who is suffering is, if there is suffering, it's a result of something somewhere. So everybody we believe gets what catches up to them at some point. So whether it's temporary, whether it's longer, whether it's period, and it's not a great thing to think about because we don't want anyone to suffer, mm-hmm. right? And we absolutely want don't want to promote or encourage suffering or justify it. But the fact is that Sometimes bad things lead to good things. So maybe that's a step on the way for that person to becoming even better. Many people in the world, people like Martin Luther King Jr., people like Gandhi, they would not have had the opportunity to become the role models they were if they didn't have obstacles in their way. They would have just been average human beings living their day-to-day lives. They had the opportunity because of negative situations to inspire generations of people to do the right thing. So maybe their suffering was needed on a path to doing something bigger and greater. So we don't have the answers to why someone is in a situation, but we believe everyone has the opportunity to make the best of their situation. And that determines who they are as a person. So would you say that suffering... Um, like the restitution to the victim here. So somebody persecutes Martin mm-hmm. Luther King Jr. And they, the, the persecutor suffers bad karma, but um, just the suffering in and of itself gives good karma to Martin Luther King Jr. Is that what you're talking about here? It, it's not just him. It's the whole world. How many people have been inspired by him? How much of the movement changed because of what happened to him? If have, maybe, oh, sorry, yes. We have less than a minute left, I think. Okay. <laughs> yes, so many, many topics, and I don't have all the answers. I'm no expert, but, you know, based on the conversations and things that I know, these are the directions my thoughts are heading, so. Well, thank you very I, much for your yes. time, Bhakti, and thank you for putting this together, Theodore. Yeah, you want the final word? Oh, no, I don't have time. Uh, all right. <laughs> Thank you all for joining. We'll talk about something completely Take different care. next time. Thank you again for yes. your time, Bhakti. Have a great rest of the night. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Appreciate it.